Today's episode is brought to you by DNA Sports Training. If you or someone you know wants to take their game to the next level, then hit it. DNA Sports Training. Visit dnasportsdenver.com to book a training session. We offer specialized sports training from football to track and fields and everything else in between. Whether you're an offensive or defensive lineman wanting to get better off the ball, or you're an athlete wanting to improve your speed and agility, we have something for you over at DNA. Visit dnasportsdenver.com right now and sign up. Yo. What up, what up, what up, bro? How's it going? Back another again? How's it how's it been? It's been alright. It's been alright, man. A little you get a little heated in the, in the last time we did this, so we'll see how this one goes. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, nah, it was a little heated. It's just a little friendly debate. A little you argument. Know, one of those fun little things we like to do here and there. They should see us off camera. If they thought that was tough, off camera, we're a hoot. We're a hoot and a hollering. A hoot and a hollering. Hollering and a hooting. Hey man, wrestling is getting going, bro. We, we talked about it last time. We had our first tournament. Um, getting ready to embark on our second one. Took the little holiday off a little bit. You know what I there mean. And now we're getting back into the swing of things. And <clears throat> there's a tournament coming up, I believe, on the third, and then another one the following weekend. So it's tournament after tournament, and I can't wait. I'm excited though because eight. Or nine of our starters for football are all wrestling. Sick. Majority of our line is wrestling. Sick. Um, dude, I think wrestling, I didn't wrestle in high school, and I should have, and I have my excuses. That's what they are. Um, but I think wrestling makes you a better football player for sure I, and, and a better athlete. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of sports that kind of apply into football, right? Track, wrestling, yeah. um, even basketball baseball like they all could apply in in different different ways but i think wrestling definitely gets you the most prepared for football and and what you're gonna deal with i seen this video on um i think it was instagram or facebook it was a cleveland browns uh defensive back Mm -hmm. making a tackle and like he did like the slide under a blocker he shoot and then made the tackle yeah and it was straight wrestling move yeah and i was like yep there you go right there that's like tangible proof on why wrestling helps you make you a better football player, better tackler. Shout out to the junior Vikings, though. Shout out to uh, Coach Zach and all the fellas over there. Um, that's dope hearing hearing eight or nine kids of our of our starting football team can can wrestle. Yeah, you know who probably didn't wrestle and and isn't a good person because of it is 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 your boy over uh, in Indianapolis, Jim Mersey. Ah. You know, I don't know about that dude. Maybe he did wrestle, but he lost all the, you know the traits wrestling teaches you along his way because he is pretty much a pos in my opinion yo he's wrestling with some demons (laughs) yeah i don't know if you guys have heard or or seen anything that he has done recently but recently jim ursay has came out of left field and saying that his 2014 arrest was strictly because he is a white billionaire Man, I didn't know being white and being a billionaire was a reason for you to be targeted. But I guess in 2023, it is. You Um, know what? In 2023, being a white male does carry a little bit of different responsibility, I guess. But a a white, rich billionaire? um, Dude, come on, Ursay. 
Like you can find out another excuse other than this. Yeah, I mean, it's not what you know; it's who you know, right? That's what's wrong with the world. It's always we're allowing financial status and wealth to give people a sense of entitlement. We put like so much emphasis on on the status and and the wealth that most people that become rich feel like they're better than others and that's what's wrong right i have this money so i should get out of this or i shouldn't be pulled over or now because i have this money it's the reason you're pulling me over like this isn't the streets like we don't see you as a as a bag like we're you're not being robbed right it's not someone comparing you know (laughs) if does he have money i'm gonna hit him up and and he's a lick or does he not i'm gonna leave him alone no this ain't that bro like if you're doing the crime, you must do the time, bro. It is what it is. I think it's irresponsible, bro. And, and he had this interview on HBO where he's like, where he said, "I quote, I'm a pre- I am prejudiced against because I'm a rich white billionaire." Uh, he said with the uh, Andrea Kramer, Unreal Sports with Brian Gumble. He uh, he went on to say, "If I'm just the average guy down the block, they're not pulling me in." Of course not. Added Ursay, whose net worth is four point three billion dollars, according to Forbes. Um, come on, man. Like I, I mean, you were kind of talking off camera on this and, and I have a, I have an issue with that, bro. Cause I don't agree with him, dude. Like I don't, yes. Being a billionaire does put a target on your back. Having money puts a target on your back. Um, but I don't necessarily feel like it's the target of the police that is on your back. Um, you know, unless you're doing something stupid and if you're out there driving drunk or driving under the influence of pills or whatever the whatever it was in this situation and i know he's been involved with both like um you you just got to take it take accountability of the of your actions bro you got to be responsible for your actions and say hey you know what yeah i messed up it is what it is and move on you can't come out but almost 10 years later um accusing you know this police force of pulling him over because he's a rich white billionaire you know in america um, you know, I, I think it's just irresponsible, bro, and it sets the wrong message um, for those that 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 are fans of your team and you know that support your team. You know, it's it's it sends it's, honestly it sends the wrong message to the team is to say, hey, you know what, make an excuse, guys. Don't take accountability for your actions. Yeah, it really sends the wrong message to to the youth and to everybody else, right? Like, you have money, you get to get away with things, or if you have money, you're gonna be a target, like. Why do we put so much emphasis on money? It's ridiculous. Like, we always talk about if we're equal because of sex, religion, race, and all those other things, but we don't talk about why money is constantly the reason why we're divided. Yeah. Right? Why, if you're poor, you can't go here, or you can't do this, or you can't do that, or if you're rich, you get these perks over those other people. Like, it's just a bunch of bullshit. Well, we talked about it a couple segments back about about having money for, like, youth sports and youth extracurriculars and stuff like that, bro. Like, um, trying to find, you know, find how how we can make that work. There's some people that ain't got to worry about things like that, dude. And I I, I don't, I think if you don't have to worry about things like that, that's a true blessing. You know, for Ursay not to have to worry about things like that because of his economic status is a true blessing i don't think you should try to use it to to demonize you know a group of, of police officers who were doing their job because you were driving drunk or under the influence like and i don't think you should do that shit like you know 10 years later when the whole you know kind of everything's shifted so much in terms of how we view race relations and how how we view the police dealing with people 
Like, there's been a big shift in the world in the last 10 years, and this dude is coming out with this now? Like, come on, bro. Like, it's just irresponsible. It's almost like if you're trying to jump on the woke train and try to get people to have sympathy for you and saying, you know, you're trying to get in line with, with them. That's not how it works, bro. Like, yeah. you, you can't just, you know, be you, you can't all of a sudden be oppressed, bro. <laughs> that ain't how it works. Yeah, and in all honesty, like, to be this, like, this type of person who does not take any sort of accountability is is also a part of the problem like you should be held to a higher standard when you are a face of an organization when you are a billionaire when you have this money because people look up to you so if you're out there in the streets committing duis you shouldn't be you should be holding yourself to that higher standard you should be knowing that there is more visibility on you. It's not that you're a target. There's just more eyes watching you because you're more looked up to in certain aspects. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like where the, where the responsibility of being a billionaire, of being an owner of an organization and, and take some accountability and just move on from your mistakes and try to learn from them instead of blaming other people. Juan, does he like, does he feel like he should have been shown some grace because of who he is? Probably. Because now that's using your, your billionaire status in another, in the opposite direction, right? Like just because you're a billionaire, do you think you should have been like, look past that you're driving recklessly or that you're driving under the influence because you know, you're Jim Ursay and you're a rich white billionaire. Like dude, like you can, you can take his comments in so many different ways, bro. And, and they're, all equally bad the way he laid them like yeah. yo just shut up take take responsibility for your actions you know come on bro to, to suggest he has no responsibility is just bogus man be a leader to to be a, a owner in the nfl right and to witness i mean obviously his incident happened before henry ruggs right but he's speaking about his incident now after henry ruggs yep. and knowing your situation could have ended up like his situation it was and it didn't god forbid yep. that something bad would have happened in your situation as bad as it did in henry ruggs situation but what would you have been saying then yep. i don't need to go to prison because i'm a white billionaire yep. and where's where's roger goodell come down on this bro like you know the owners pay his bills and the owner keeps the owners keep him employed. So I know he can't speak out too much um, about some of these things that these owners do or say or how they conduct their business. But like, you know, where's your statement at, bro? Like you should come out and be like, hey, dude, just shut up. You know what I mean? Like you ain't got to go there with it. Like um, there's no reason to go there with it. Your comments are divisive. You know, how do you think people inside his locker room feel? For sure. Trying not, to use that excuse. Not only that, his peers because now is he now creating a target? And how many how many of them people in his locker room and on that <laughs> staff have been prejudiced before? Had had prejudices shown against them, and then you're going to come out and be like, "Yeah, well, I've been prejudiced against because I'm a white billionaire." After like, all the scandal, come on, is, dog. Yeah. There ain't no sympathy there. There ain't no like, come on, bro. That's like that's like trying to hold a flag saying I'm oppressed when you're not. Those who live in glass house should not cast stones. Yeah, man. I I just think he just needs to 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 take responsibility and let the issue die bro no one was thinking about this shit until you brought it up again and then he just stokes up all kinds of old thoughts that i have about how you know he's had several run-ins with the police and i doubt that those are because of him being a white rich billionaire i have, have a feeling it's because of other things that he did and it just goes it's a bigger problem when you we talked about it with vince mcmahon we talked about it with 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 other people it's a big problem when the people highest up don't take responsibility for their actions mm -hmm. because then it tells everyone else they don't have to take responsibility. And that's, that's a big problem with this country right now. It is definitely a big problem. 
Um, I and, saw. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Paper, rock, scissors. Go ahead. <laughs> I would, you know, we we're talking about old, old folks of the past, and I saw some craziness that you sent me about mm. Drew Brees, bro. Yeah, dude. Uh, he was saying that he he would still be playing football if he can throw. It's crazy, right? Can't even enjoy a normal day of catch with his boy. Dude, what are your what are your thoughts about like, you know, obviously football is a violent game, and you know, but beyond that, it takes tolls on your body, even just like any sports do. You know, you think about basketball players in their knees, and you know, football players like linemen in their shoulders after you know after years. You think about people like Mark Schlereth who had like fucking thirty surgeries in his career. Like, you know, what do you feel about like the the toll that that football takes on a person? I mean, it's crazy because we love this game so much, but it does take such a toll on our bodies. But we all have to take accountability for the fact that we continue to endure it. We continue to put ourselves in that position, you know what I mean, to play the game. And I'm sure if if Drew can go back to the time where they were like, you know, if you continue to play, you might not be able to use this arm again. And he would make the choice of continuing to chase that Super Bowl, right? I think that... Sometimes our love for something can allow us to constantly overlook the risk. Yeah, we'll always find a way. Yeah. Like if we love doing something, like people ask all the time, how do you, how do, you do this, that, and the other? You got, you got a family, like coaching. Yeah. How do you do it all? And it's like if you love something, you'll find a way to make it happen. Yeah. It's crazy, though. I wish like the NFL, like I know they do a lot, and I'm sure um, there's much more that they can do, right? They're one of the biggest – corporations around like yeah, yeah, yeah. football is going to probably be around for years to come yep. um and it's been around for years and so i think that there are probably more avenues that they can go down to trying to help prevent some of these long-term life long injuries for players but then there's some instances where they can't but i think in those instances where they can't they should do more in helping them after the fact, trying to resolve some of their lifelong issues. I think often you hear about players that were in the NFL, whether they were in the NFL for a day or or a, five years, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. They put their <clears throat> life on the line and their bodies on the line that I think they deserve some sort of lifelong medical coverage after the fact i mean i would agree and i mean you know that's what that lawsuit was with the concussion stuff and mm-hmm. some of the information that's held back but i think that's also that that very thought is the reason why like a lot of this stuff is trying to be legislated out the game mm-hmm. you know and going back to drew debris like everybody's shoulder definitely took a beating over the years obviously miami made a mistake passing on him in favor of Dante Culpepper just because that right shoulder was such a concern and for him to be able to have the career he had in New Orleans with that arm just speaks volumes about what it takes to be prepared and, and to come back and play and it also speaks to the fact that sometimes we don't want our heroes to leave you know you think about here locally Denver like John Elway people didn't want like John Elway to leave and wanted him to play forever and play another year but that man literally couldn't couldn't walk no more well, you even, know what I mean? even less right like you, you see statements like justin jefferson telling people i don't care about your fantasy football teams like my health is way more important than your fantasy football teams right now yep. and it's true like oftentimes as fans and as 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 consumers of these sports we put these people in in like a you can't be hurt category like you yep. can't allow no you need to 
you need, need to play. You back. I need we got to win. Points. Yeah. We got to get to the Super Bowl. We're all chasing a trophy that yeah. we're never even going to touch. And these people are all just human, just like us too, bro. Yeah. They, obviously, they get paid to play a game, and so people feel like there there's a certain you know level of of something that's owed to them. But these guys are just people like us, man. They they got bodies and that break down, and you know they got life to think out after football, which is why I don't ever. You know, I had never got beefs when these dudes are asking for more money or asking for their contract to be extended or to be guaranteed or, you know, because pro sports is quick to spit you out, especially NFL. They mm-hmm. quick to they quick to cut you and just swallow the dead money. And then you're out there on, on you know, trying to figure it out, you know, mm-hmm. trying to put the pieces together later on in life. And, I, you know, football, you know, it's, it's one of them sports. Look at running backs, three to, four, three to five years of shelf life, and that's it, bro. You got to maximize what you can. Yeah, you got to think about our bodies, right? We're getting older. We were once young, young men. And, yes, we both played sports as well. But even without the amount of, of play that some of these athletes endure, <clears throat> we, as we get older, we feel aches. We feel pains. We get out of bed and we're like, oh, I don't want to. Just imagine putting your body through a car accident every single day. Yeah. Well, we talked about, you know, you mentioned about getting, you know, health care for these people long term. And I think, you know, that's why the game, the, the league is trying to legislate things like hits the head out of the game. You know what I mean? But what about these dudes that need re- knee replacement by the time they're 40, 45 years old, hip replacement by the time they're 40, 45 years old? Because just all the – you think about how much they run. Think about how much they work, how much they're on, they, they do physically over the course of a career, especially the people that are in there long term. Um, the injuries that they sustain. You know, think about guys like Bo Jackson, mm. you know, whose life was completely altered due to injuries. Um, you know, it's, yeah, we, they, they, they know what they're signing up for when they get signed up for it. You know, there's, there's part of that. And, you know, people, for people not to have any sympathy for it because that's their logic. Like, oh, well, they know what they're getting signed up for. Like, yeah, dude, that's like we get that right but at the same time if a, if an organization is making billions off of your blood and sweat there should be some sort of even if it's like reduced cost or something like that there should be something maybe deferring portions of payments into a fund to to take care of those things later on down in life like there's just it, it, it just there's no real saying what you're gonna need later on in life as you as you put it going through car crashes every day of your career mm-hmm. i think that's why you're starting to see a lot more guaranteed contracts players yeah. are getting a lot smarter you know with the way they're negotiating themselves because they have to look out for themselves. It's kind of sad, though, and the way you brought it, you know what it, it brought into my mind is, like, workman's comp. Yeah. <clears throat> like, this this inevitably, at the end of the day, is a work-related injury. So <laughs> if I got hurt at work, you know, doing something, I have the opportunity to fall back on a workman's comp claim yeah. or do something like that. Well, what happens to them? Yeah. No one tells me, oh, you're going to work. You're supposed to get her. That's what happens. You're enduring that, trying to chase that bag. Yeah. That's the same thing they're doing. It's a little different for us, though. It isn't. It, it is, though. How? Because we're not fucking going to work. Unless you unless you work like as a as a first responder or something like that that has like the or construction worker where there's like physical risks. Like we're not going to work unless you put it enduring car wrecks every day at work. We're not, but there are some people that do. There are some fields that do, and there's yeah, things what, in yeah. place. There's things in place to account for that. But but for when it comes to a professional athlete. We're going to tell them at the end of their career, oh, you shouldn't have bad knees as an NBA player. (laughs) 
because you never got injured, that's not the NBA's fault. You figured it out. Right, right. No, nah, bro, that's wear and tear from the work. Well, for I, the years of working. Like, that's the years of service injury. You know, obviously, the, the shit that they did with the concussion stuff and keeping keeping some of that information away, and now it's it's more public. But, you know, my thing is, like, they'll legislate concussions out. Like, Kareem Jackson serving a four-game suspension because he because he plays old school in, in some of the hits. I mean, you can argue he's dirty. There's some hits that you see that shit in football all the time, and there's no one ever saying nothing about it. But they're trying to get those hits out of the game, right? But, like... Dude, if a dude, like if I'm playing and a dude went and took out my knees versus taking out up top, I'd rather have him take out up top than my knees. Because, like, the rehab back from a knee injury, you know, that's pretty fucking substantial. It is. It is. But. Like a torn ACL, you're done. Concussion, you come back in like three weeks. You know what I mean? Maybe, or you turn into Aaron Hernandez. Perhaps, yes. Or Chris Benoit. Or you turn into, or or you turn into, to, uh. Uh, what's the dude from the from the Houston Oilers? Eric uh, Earl Campbell. Yeah, where you can't walk. Yeah, no, there or even Muhammad Ali. Yeah. you yeah. know what I mean. Like, there's so many risks to getting an injury anywhere on your body, and that's the point. The risk that they take for us, right? That is why I feel like there should just be more done for all athletes. Like, guaranteed money should be kind of a mandatory thing. In in a sense, like it shouldn't count towards salary cap. Maybe maybe it should be structured a little bit differently to like guaranteed injury money doesn't count towards the salary cap order like that. So that way teams can still give money without being held to these strict cap guidelines. Well, you start seeing weird shit like you saw last year with the Raiders um, telling Derek Carr to stay home. Yeah, because if he gets injured, he's guaranteed on their on their roster for the following year. Right, it's like what some people were saying around here when the Broncos started one and five, and that if they continue to lose, do you just tell Russell Wilson to stay home? That way, you're not guaranteeing that money if he gets hurt. You know what I mean? Like, so you start seeing things like that, and, and teams start to manipulate things like that, which is just bullshit and shady, in my opinion. But you know, they're doing things to protect their bottom line um, from those injuries as well. I think it's funny. It's kind of ironic that they'll do things like that to protect themselves, but they won't do things to protect the player. Yeah, um, no doubt. You know. You, we're gonna we're gonna get a little deep on some questions with me, but yeah. like for me, real quick to ask you, like if if you know, what was it like to put to allow DJ to play football because he's been playing for a couple years now. He's a young man, like, and you know what the sport is. You know how violent the sport is. You know how you know how many bumps and bruises you get just practicing and, and playing this sport. So, what was it like for you to be able to be like, yo? Uh, when he when he expressed an interest to wanting to play or, you know, when you introduced the game to him, what was it like for you in terms of settling that kind of debate within yourself? Well, it was tough because I didn't want DJ. Originally, I kept thinking, like, I'm not going to allow him to play until middle school or high school. Okay. Um, Which stri- isn't a bad idea. Strictly because I think that DJ, <clears throat> he was a, he's obviously a bigger boy. And with being a bigger boy, that means you're going to be in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And yes, you don't take as many like shit. You take a lot, you know, of- as many like full speed 
tackles or blows to the head, but you take more blows yep. to the head on every single play. Every single play, there's contact within the trenches. Back, head shoulders, head. and hips be you killing know what I mean? you, boy. Like, and so you're physically in a fight on every single play in the trenches. And yep. so I thought I was going to hold him out. But DJ was a kid who, in our family, like football so important to our family that it was kind of hard to because he fought – tooth and nail we put him in flag and we're like oh you can just play flag he he quit flag football <laughs> he said, I, yeah, i'm not playing flag football like there's no I, I just don't do it like there's no point for me yeah. i'm not a skill guy if i was a, a receiver i see why i would play flag football but i'm a this does no benefit to me yeah which he's he's has some truth in that it's not right? Lying right there, when yeah. we go to seven on seven tournaments it's seven on seven or big man comps like that's that's yep. what it is. Yep. Um, so he had a point, and he was very, very persistent about playing. So I let him play. Um, and in all honesty, if, if DJ could play year-round football right now, he would. Uh. And he constantly talks about playing football, um, doing after-season tournaments, and, and continuous continuing to play football because he loves it so much. And we talked about him committing to it when he gets into middle school strictly because he wants football as his thing. I think the way you guys are doing it are good though, bro. Like I think, like I I see a lot of people that are like baseball only or football only or basketball only, and that's I mean that's cool. But I feel like, dude, like the more the more sports you do, like it it, it builds your overall athleticism. I agree. And I, you were talking about that earlier, or I don't remember it was earlier if it was on the other pod um, about like. Just being being able to be more well rounded in a certain attributes of football or, or wrestling carry over to football and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Like, I, dude, I, I see so many like you see so many kids get burnt out with a single sport when that when that's all they do. But I think it's good sometimes to get that change of pace, change of scenery, and then it, it also like feeds that hunger a little bit. Like where I can't wait for football season to come back. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I also do see the the importance in if you're a guy who's built for football you love playing football and you plan to play football at the next level, then I see once you get to a certain point committing to that, because there's so much that goes into being a really high end recruited, um, high end football player nationally, right? Not just Mm -hmm. locally. Like the goal at that point is to be a national player. And, And in order to do so, you have to go to some of these money grab Camps and camps stuff, yeah. and, and tournaments and you know yeah, put and, your name and, out and there things like that. You have to network, yeah. and and so that takes a year round commitment to whatever sport it is. And so when you get to that certain point, I do see the importance in that because it's hard for there to be another Dion, another yeah. Russell, another Bo. Like let's keep it real. Like how how often do you see? really really good multi-sport athletes in both sports for all at all levels like in college and pros like they played both sports no at some point they got to make a choice yeah right and 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 i get that it 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 nurtures them to be an all-around athlete but at the same time if you're not that guy that's going to play at both levels professionally and professionally is what you're trying to get to, then at some point I think you should do yourself a benefit and committing to the one you think you have a better chance at making. I feel you. I just feel there's also a a number of examples of, um, you know, players that were multi-sport athletes that, you know, got to that pinnacle of where they want to be. For sure. You know, and so there's there's no one way to skin a cat. Mm -mm. I just was curious on how, like, you felt about – 
getting into it and obviously your kids passion for the for the sport kind of dictates how much more of it they get right like you know if they loving this thing and they want to do this thing full on like okay well then obviously that kind of dictates a little bit more so than if they were in it and they were timid about it and they didn't want to play then you're like okay maybe we don't want to get them hurt you know things like that so yeah i mean dj still talks about his elbow like, that he hurt this year like he's like it still hurts here and there like it still bothers me like yeah. and he's just pushing through and we got to look that and i don't think nothing crazy is wrong with probably him. just sprained it a little but bit but i do think that you know it does take a toll on you and it is scary it's scary to see like when he got hurt both times this year it was a scary moment for me because both times i thought one i thought he popped his collarbone out yeah, and then the other one, I thought he fucking blew his knee out. Yep, and and both times, bro, I was very concerned, and I started. The first thing I did was blame myself. Like, yeah. why did you allow him to play? Yeah, because you love the sport. You allowed him to play. You, you got to live like, with our decisions, though, and, right? Yeah, and and he was good, and and he would do it again. But it, it's scary, bro, for sure. It's scary balance. Yeah, before we move on to the next segment, man, because I, um, I know this is one that we introduced um, a couple shows back, and I know it's something that you want to get in depth with, and I'll let you introduce that. Before we do that, though, I want to give a big shout out to Cutthroat Barbers and English on 38th and Pierce at Wheat Ridge. Uh, shout out to AJ and his team over there at Cutthroat. Um, they lead, they provide you know all the latest cuts in men's hair fashion. Fellas at Cutthroat take the art of barbering to the next level. They've got an open chair for you. Make sure you hit up cocutthroat.com, book yourself a service. Um, shout out to AJ and his team over there. Shout out to my boy Matt and the Canyon Fly Shop, also in the same location, man. Go get you cut. Go get you some flies. They got some some great deals going on um, right now, so make sure you check them out. Yeah. Hey, make sure you check out AJ and them, man. He always does a great job. He looks out for his people that look out for him. And, and in tough moments, he comes through in the clutch. So shout out to you, my boy. Um, Kobe. This next topic is something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, and, you know, we you talked about we introduced it a few weeks back. And probably we'll have some more, you know, glimpses of it before it kind of Grows evolves into its own, into its own little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a segment we would like to call Don't Go Through It grow through it um and in life we often go through things that either help us today in life with with lessons that we go through and how we adapt to those things or you know it kind of propels us into that next level of of success based off of our triumphs and and in today's episode we want to touch base with our boy here coach al and kind of touch base with them about a tough incident that he had to go through as a young parent that most parents don't have to deal with um and before we dive into that i want to just take a moment to let you know that i want this to go at your pace during this segment um you know this is your story to tell and i and i'm just basically going to do it from an interview perspective ask a few questions and kind of dive into the your trials and tribulations and then also help that how that helped mature and grow you into the parent that you are today and how you apply it today um with your two youngest um i'll just say dude don't don't hold back um you know we'll get into the situation a little bit more but when we were chosen to go through this situation and i truly feel we were chosen to go through the situation um i knew that it meant that I was going to have to be an advocate in so in some areas of this of the situation, you know, and I'm going to have to talk to people about it. And, you know, you get chosen to go through things in order to provide other strength sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I think when when, you know, when, when we were chosen for it, that's kind of the, the stance I took on it. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, um, when Dono 
was a young kid, um, your family was given some tough, tough information and, and, and life-changing news that you guys had to adjust and adapt to. Tell us a little bit more about that and how, again, how that how that structured all of you today. Um, starting off with what was his, uh, what was the situation and, and what was his diagnosis? So when uh, Donovan, Dono, he's my second oldest son, uh, one of four that I have. And um, when he was five years old, um, he was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Uh, it's the most commonly diagnosed leukemia amongst Latino boys and girls. Um, one of the most diagnosed amongst minority children, um, but also one of the most um, uh, one of the most beatable forms of, mm. of leukemia. Um, and so, we uh, it was a wild summer. Donovan had. Uh, Injured his ankle, he had broken his wrist that summer, and um, things were just taking a long time to heal up. He started all day kindergarten, and, um, you know, he would come home, and he'd be tired. He'd be at the dinner table, fall asleep at the dinner table, uh, wasn't eating that much. And so you thought maybe the first couple of weeks that he was adjusting to his new schedule, and um, after about three or four weeks of this, you know, you start to see that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're watching the Victor Ortiz-Floyd Mayweather fight and uh, noticed Donovan's real pale, um, just didn't look good. And so we decided that Monday we were going to take him to his doctor, get him seen, um, did some blood work. The doctor came back, and the doctor – she was just she was blunt dude like she was straight up about things and uh she was like yeah he's severely anemic it could be just a you know a blood deficiency in, in in iron or it could be something like childhood cancer you go home we're gonna give you a call and let you know the results <laughs> <laughs> so we went home and uh we were a wreck we couldn't figure out what to do, what to think, what to say. Obviously, when people tell you you got a good situation and a bad situation, you tend to wonder if it's going to be that bad situation. You kind of start preparing yourself for the worst situation. You're hoping for the best, but you, you know, what, growing up how I did, we always hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And um, about 7.30 that evening, we get a call, and uh, the doctor confirmed that um, – Donovan does have some sort of form of childhood cancer and that we needed to get to Children's Hospital um, right away. And so we hit the highway, called up, called up folks, you know, uh, my mom's and my cousin and my sister and all them like, hey, we're going to go and uh, we've got to take Donovan in. And this is what they're telling us. Um, that was the 19th, I believe, and uh, or the 20th. And by the 22nd, they had a an official diagnosis of acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, thankfully, it hadn't got into his spinal cord or anything like that. Um, his white blood cell count was good there. But, um, you know, and, and, and within, you know, two, three days, we were on a path to treating this. Um, he, he, you know, had surgery to put a port in. Um, so they can access his uh, his port, and the port basically connected straight to his heart, so he would get medicine through the port. Um, but yeah, it was it was just go, you know. And we spent um, his first time in the hospital. We spent about a week and a half in the pe in the uh, pediatric ICU, um, and uh, moved our way out of there. And 
um, it was it was a wild experience, bro. Like um, when we took him in, you know, they do your they do your blood. They check your blood and your hemoglobin, your white blood count, your platelets, all that good stuff. And like he had a hemoglobin down of like near three, low three. And to put that in perspective, if you were not, you or I were to drop our hemoglobin right now to three, normal range is between 10 and 14. And if we were to drop ours down to three, we'd faint and we'd pass out and we'd be out of it. Uh, But being that his was such a gradual kind of decline, his body adjusted, which is why he was falling asleep at the table, which is why he wasn't eating dinner, uh, which is why when he did eat, he passed out right away. And it was his body's attempt to just use only the things they needed to use for energy to be able to keep sustaining, keep going. And so he went to school for like two weeks like this, bro. Like mm-hmm. it was it was wild. And obviously, in hindsight, you know, you start to question what you're doing as a parent. You're like, well, fuck, dude, I should have noticed this or I should have noticed that. But that's not necessarily the case and you really can't do that um but yeah well you know you you actually blew through and and answered a lot of the questions but also sparked a lot more as you were explaining it um and as you explained to the viewers he was five years old when when you guys got this news how old were you guys um within when you guys heard the news as parents um so this is your second go around so this is this is you know for all parents at home the first try the first child right is the experimental one, it's the <laughs> one where, where you kind of you know you're a little bit uh you know you're a little bit on edge and don't let him do this don't let him get into that no he can't touch this no he can't do that but then the second one you know you let the reins loose a little bit yeah, and you let him kind of yeah kind of go through some things so you guys were still young parents you are probably thinking oh i have it figured out yep. and then boom you get this news right how old were you when you get this news i was like 27 26 27 28 somewhere around there we're we're late you know late 20s i mean he's been i it's funny we just had a i had a, a facebook post yesterday that come up on memories I you know those things yeah. come up and it was a memory of um him getting his port out yeah and that was uh 2014 so nine years ago that he got his port out and he went through five years of of treatment so um yeah man um you know we, we were young parents uh and and yeah it was different than anything we went through with aj um but you know it's 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 one of those things dude that you know, as a parent, you find out your your kids are in a situation. You're going to do everything you can to make sure your kids are right. And I, I remember that first night when we um, when we finally got settled into our room. It's crazy, bro. Like, shout out to Children's and shout out to that whole program. Like, when we got there, dude, we went to the emergency room and they're like, gave them our name. They're like, oh, we already got your room. Come on up this way. And they already had us, like, taken care of. And so when we got into... Um, you know, that situation, he was resting. I got, you know, my wife at the time, my parents, my cousin, everybody that was there. And I was like, yo, when you go see him, you put on that tough face. If you want to mm-hmm. cry, you cry out here in the hallway. You cry in the waiting room. We're not crying in front of him. We're going we're gonna to offer him strength. We're going to be strength for him right now because he can't be strong for himself. Um, we need to make sure that it's on our face to that there's no fear. And that yeah. there's nothing, that there's nothing wrong with with being that way. You know, there's nothing wrong with crying or or showing emotion or being afraid. But we need to make sure that we show him that we're we're strong in this. And I remember just bawling my eyes out, telling him this. 
you know, feeling weak, telling him to be strong, you know what I mean? Telling my family to be strong. But I thought it was, I thought it was of the most importance because I think, you know, our young people feed off of us, mm -hmm. you know, and if, and if, if you're afraid, they're going to be afraid. And if you're crying, they might feel emotional. They might feel like, oh, I made my mom cry. Or I made my dad cry. Like, you know, they, they don't, they don't compute things the same way we compute them. And so um, it, it was very important that we were we were strong and prevented this provided this this strength for him, um, not knowing what was going to go on. Like the hardest part was like when we get in there, they're like, yeah, he has a form of childhood cancer, which one at this time we don't know. But mm. we'll know in two days. Like they said, we'll know. And they literally do. They knew and then they knew how they were going to attack it. Yeah, so they were already prepared, but you couldn't have been, right? There's nothing that you could have went through with with AJ that would have prepared you guys for nah. this. These were late 20s, right? So and as a matter you, of fact, bro, sorry. As a matter of fact, they told us, don't go on WebMD. That's what I was just getting don't ready to go, ask. Stay because, off the internet. Because, like, you couldn't have been prepared. So when you first get this news of it could be this or it could be that, yeah. that night when you go home, like, what's the emotion? What's the feeling like of... Going on WebMD, yeah, they said not to do this, but I need to do this because yeah. I want to be as prepared as I can for my kid and fight this fight with him. Or like, what were those feelings? How did you guys? How did you guys adjust that first night? Did you, you know, I'm sure you probably didn't sleep much. No, I know? slept on that little. Uh, I gave his mom the the nice recliner, and I slept on the little couch that was in there that was hard as shit. And we tried to sleep, but they come in and check his counts, and you know. Talk to him. They had their at seven and seven every day. They had their. Oh, so they didn't send you home. They they told you no, the news and then no, they we kept stood you there, bro. Okay. Yeah, we stood there. Like uh, he was, he was in the hospital for ten days. His first stint, um, okay. like like a week week and a half or so inside the the pediatric ICU. Like we didn't go anywhere. That was the longest stretch we had away from AJ. Um, there was a point where um, I would go home for a little bit, come back, you know. Yeah, take shit. If Tosh needs to go home, you can go home. She did, she didn't really want to. Like we we wanted to be there. We'd bring we we'd have AJ come and see his brother. You know, uh, either either his granddad would bring him or my parents would bring him. So like we we worked it out. We weren't leaving. Like there, yeah. you couldn't get us out of there, bro. And the, and it was cool. The hospital the hospital actually provides a a room. And I don't know if they still do this, but they had like an empty room. With a shower and a regular bed in there. And if you needed to go sleep there, they gave you that option to go sleep there. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we would do that, too. We would take shifts at sleeping. Like, here, go go sleep for a few hours in a regular bed. I'll stay up with him. Um, it was cool in the aspect of where Donovan, like, so the first day we took him, bro, like, he was just out of it, dude. Like, just real lethargic. And then that first day they give him... They, they give him a blood transfusion. They give him a platelet transfusion. Um, and then the next thing, the next very next day, dude, he's like fucking hopping up in his bed, like ah, nah, nah, playing with toys and shit, like mm -hmm. just completely different kid from what we had saw the previous month. Got a little better. And, and it's just the fact that he had energy. He had, mm -hmm. he had good blood and, and good platelets. So I don't, you know, not to get too technical into, into the leukemia, but like acute lymphoblastic leukemia, like it, the leukemia attacks certain blood cells in your body. And the one that he had, his white blood cells kind of became immature, so to speak, and started attacking uh, his red blood cells and his platelets. White blood cells are there to attack infection. They're there. They're kind of the equalizers in, in your bloodstream. They, uh, they, you know, anything that's not supposed to be there, they attack and they kill. Wow. Unfortunately, they became 
kind of mutated or, you know, whatever you want to call it, I call it immature, and they started attacking and killing red blood cells and platelets. And so the red blood cells are your oxygen-rich blood, which, you know, you need that to get your energy and, and your oxygen throughout your system, and your platelets are what stop, helps you stop your bleeding and things like that. So um, side note, one of the little things that we noticed when we took him to the doctor, he had like these little bruises on his neck they were like if you took like a little sharpie and just made little dots mm-hmm. and that was that was a, a telltale sign of, of platelet deficiency and so um we learned a lot dude like we learned a lot that first week about the body and about your, your blood and, and, and what it does and you know we were ready for you know blood transfusions or you know bone marrow transfusions if that was necessary and thankfully it wasn't but, you know, we we learned a lot that first week, and I'm very proud about how we stepped up and was like, all right, we got to do this. Like, let's let's make it happen. Let's figure out how we got to do this. And we had a lot of support. Um, our football family, my AJ was playing football at the time. I was coaching. I had to take a couple weeks off from coaching um, during this whole ordeal. And we got so much love and support from our football family, from our family family. Um, it was wild, bro. It's definitely a wild ride. Um, you know, you find out how many people you have in your corner when you go through some dark times, for sure. Yeah. And, and you talked about being strong in front of him and, and holding in some of those emotions. And I'm sure that was a lot easier said than done. And behind the scenes, there were some tough times where, you know, not only your your relationship with Tosh, but you see your relationship with others started to take a toll due to your your stress and stress and emotions of what was going on with Dono. Um, how did that kind of play a part in in everything and and Let's, let's talk about that a little bit because I know like there's a lot of young families out there who who often struggle to to handle their own internal emotions as well as kind of be absorbent of others and understanding of others and it's kind of hard to do and hindsight being 2020 I'm sure there's some things that you felt you could have did different and some things that you kind of hold true and make sure that you apply to your relationship now um so that way you're still that same understanding person in a situation like this. Well, life don't stop. It does. <laughs> like, regardless of what we go through, life does not stop. Mm-hmm. Life continues. Life continues to be the headache that it can be sometimes. And so there was some things going on that we still had to had to had to keep in 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 line and keep yeah. in track and and make sure we were doing right. So obviously, there's that the stresses of just everyday life. All the while, you're doing all this while in a hospital with your son, and and quite frankly, you don't know whether or not you're going to see your kid past to his next birthday Mm. you know you don't know how you don't you know obviously the prognosis once we got the diagnosis the prognosis was pretty positive you know 80 percent uh remission or 90 percent remission rate 80 percent cure rate okay um and remission and cures is semantics i mean remissions living with it dormant and and cured is after it's been x amount of time you're considered cured right so um, I, th- I think he's not even considered cure. I think he's still considered remission. I think next year will be 10 years total, and I think that's when you can start calling using the C word, right? But anyhow, um, going through that, like, y- you still go through the stresses of life, and you still have life stressing you out about different things, And but knowing that you have to keep it together, you know, hu- like, like E-40 says, hold it together like a hubcap in the fast lane. Like, um, all the appointments – You know, it it became a the first two months were like the most the wildest two months. Like 
um, once you get past like the first, you know, couple weeks, they introduce this phase called intensification. And that's literally when they um, eradicate the disease out your body. And, you know, they they use chemotherapy and, and, and he didn't have to have any radiation or anything like that, but they use chemotherapy to to treat treat the illness. And so we're going we're spending like three hours a week at the hospital um during intensification his his immune system goes down and so um he's susceptible to infection so fevers we got to treat like fucking 99 degrees we got to treat like it's 105 Mm -hmm. 105 we got to treat like it's 150 you know what i'm saying like everything's intensified yeah bro and so um his first three months you know, two months of that was intensification. We we spent a couple different stints at the hospital. Like he caught strep throat in the morning, and then by the evening it had spread to his bloodstream. And so, like they had a, we had to spend, you know, I spent like five or six days in the hospital for that. Um, they used to have this thing called beads of courage, and I'm kind of over, all over the place right here, but they used to have this thing called beads of courage, and it was a cool little program. So the thing about Children's Hospital is they have all these different programs, bro, for these kids going through these 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 trials. And one of the programs was beads of courage, where you get a bead for every visit to the hospital, for every poke, for every transfusion, for every you know chemotherapy that you got. Like you get a certain bead for it, and each bead was different. Mm-hmm. And so you'd get bead for your hospital stays, bead for emergency visits. And so by the time Donald was done with all his treatment and everything. Um, his bead strand, if you did it like one long strand, his bead strand was probably about seven, eight feet long. Wow. It, it was just this long strand of beads. Um, but, you know, to, to you, we, we say that life doesn't stop. Um, two months to the day after Donald was diagnosed with his cancer, my mother got diagnosed with breast cancer. And so we were going through it. I was going through it from two different ends. And I remember that day, it was actually the anniversary was a couple of days ago. I remember that day though, finding out, bro, I was like, I was like, what the fuck else? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person really. I'm more spiritual and, you know, I've had my tussles with, with what people perceive as God and my belief system and things like that. And it was a very vulnerable moment where I was just like, wow, all right, motherfucker, what else are you going to give me? Yeah. Like, what else can we go through? Like, my son's going through some shit that he shouldn't have to go through at, at, at five years old. And my mom is one of the nicest people in the world that I knew. And you're questioning everything. I yeah, bro. Like, everything. My faith, my existence, everything. Yeah. You know? Like, why am I even here? Like, why do I have to go through this shit? And it, and it got, what was me, and got very selfish um, for a little point there where it was just like, yo, shut the fuck up. You're not going through shit, bro. Like, these people are going through it. Like, I got to go through it. I got to be there for them. Like, again, had that conversation not only with myself, but those around us. Like, yo, we got to be strong. We got to prevent a a, a good front. We got to make sure mom's good. We got to make sure Donald's good. And so it just added more, more stress to the fire. And, you know, thankfully, my mom's got through her situation. You know, it was crazy seeing her go through it and then seeing Donovan go through it because it was completely different. Mm -hmm. As an adult, you know the ramifications of the situation. As a child, you don't. And so my mom knew at times where she felt like this can kill me and where Donovan was just like, yeah, yeah, let's go get poked. You know, like, you know, I, I like to say Donovan, dude, like. And, and you know, I don't know how much of he's had a chance to process any of that shit, but like Donovan took it in a way that was just incredible, bro, where he was just like, uh, he's very strong. 
Um, one of those times we had to go to the emergency room. They used to put numbing cream on his port before they accessed him. So he didn't feel the poke and there was no time for that. And so he was just poke it. And after that, he like didn't care about numbing cream. Yeah. Do, <laughs> do you think that like, cause I'm a big believer of like everything happens for a reason. And, and you know, and we talk about religion and like there's a higher being. And I do think that, you know, that there's a plan and that we all have a plan. We all have a story that's already written. And we just have to live that, you know, and we could still make revisions to that and everything. But do you think at any given time that Dono going through what he went through at the same time as your mom going through what she went through was kind of them both showing each other the strength and the courage and even helping you get through that time? Because like, you know, for me, like being... If I would just put myself in your mom's shoes, like showing, seeing her grandson fight that same fight inevitably, you know what I mean? Like in different rounds, but, you know, the same type of fight would give me strength to, to continue to push and, and want have the will to fight. Because sometimes when people get news like this, we're quick to shut down yeah. and not want to not take on that fight. You know, and I know if I had, you know, a... a, a grandchild or a child or somebody who was going through something like that then how could i like you said selfish right how can i say poor me or i can't do this if he's doing it right do you think that they motivated each other in any way to kind of push through their each other's strength i definitely think i don't know whether it was motivation or what it was um i definitely think they needed each other at that particular moment especially because that was the most intense portion of treatment for donald like he got like a three and a half, four years of, of chemo treatment, three and a half years of chemo treatment. Um, five years was the process, but like during that particular moment was the most intense moment to go through of his treatment. And, um, I don't know that he needed her as much as she needed him. Like it was, and she'll tell you this and, and moms will tell you this all. And she says it all the time. Like, um, you know, we needed each other to go through it to get together. Mm-hmm. That's why she got sick. And, that you know what happened happened and you know i i believe things happen for a reason and i and i truly believe that what doesn't kill us does make us stronger Mm -hmm. and so i did say you know when when you know when donovan got diagnosed and then a few months later when my mom got diagnosed like this is part of our story and we're gonna have to use our story to be inspiration for somebody else's story and just as people in the past that were going through the same situation that we got to meet or got to hear their stories were our inspiration to get through what we're going through. And so, um, I've never shied away from, um, Donovan's situation, um, just from the viewpoint of a father and my mom's situation from the viewpoint of a son. I can never understand what they went through. And I know Donald, Donald does great now. He's doing great, but I know mentally the, some of the things that he deals with, I think stem from a lot of what he went through. Yeah. Right. So I can never put myself in their shoes and understand what they've went through or what they're feeling or what they go through. Now, my mom with the surgery she's gone through the reconstruction that she's gone through um, from the mutilation of her body due to cancer. You know what I'm saying? Like I can never understand that. I can never sympathize with that any, any more than saying I understand. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also feel like our testimonies are, what helps other people get through their tests. And so, um, I do feel like we were chosen for it, man. Like for whatever, 
God's cruel plans were. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do feel we were chosen. And I, I do feel like you never know how strong you have to be until you have to be strong. And I don't think we understood how strong we can be or how unified as a family we can be or, you know, what we have to overcome until we had to overcome it. And it's like running them snake drills, bro. Like, you feel like you're going to die and you're going to throw up right there 20 yards in. And then you find yourself at the end of the snake drill. And you understand that you can push yourself and push yourself past a point that you thought was possible. And it's the same thing when you go through trials and when you go through tribulations as a family or individually. Like, you're only as strong as your death, right? Like, mm -hmm. what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, we're eight, we have the ability to overcome. We just got to figure out a way to tap into that ability. Mm, man, great said, brother. You know, on a, on that note, I'm going to ask you one more question in regards to this, but I don't want you to answer it until we dive into the next section of this. Um, because I would like to know if there was anything that, you know, going through all that, whether it had to be with, you know, Dono's health, through the treatment, um, relationship, um, relationships with people outside of that and how you had juggled outside life along with the stresses, but any of that that you take and apply with the two younger boys now, um, I want you to answer that when we dive into that. But before we do, I just want to give a special, special, special shout out to you, your family, um, every, all, every one of your supporters through that time, but also to Donald. Um, Donald, you know, you went through something that not a lot of people can go through in life and and talk about it and come out of it on the other end successful. And, and you're a smart young man who has accomplished a lot to this point, and you're not done accomplishing things either in life. And, you know, like your dad said, not to shy away from this. This is your story. This is your testimony that's going to help other people throughout their tests. So, you know, I just want to thank you for for sharing your story with not only me, but our viewers. Um, and, and, and also just, you know, tip my hats out to you and, and tell you that I wish that I could have half the strength that you showed getting through what you got through. And, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of you and what you've accomplished. I appreciate you, bro. Appreciate, <clears throat> appreciate that. Um, like I said, man, you, you, uh, you got two choices, bro. You just sit there and you, you wither away and you die and you, you, you know, you say, well, it was me and why is this happening to me? Or <clears throat> you, uh, you know, you, f you, f you figure out, you dig deep and um, what doesn't kill us makes us better. And, you know, I can I can say that Donovan has made me a better man. Um, just experiencing what we had to go through. Donovan has helped make me a better man. Um, my mom has helped make me a better man, a more understanding person. Uh, more appreciative of the fact that today is is today and tomorrow isn't promised mm -hmm. and you know um rolling it over into the present day you know with with my boys my young boys yeah. like i understand that it's a different situation for every person and like and that was part of the part of the deal with donovan was like when we're like oh we should have done this we should have done that like there's nothing that you could have done to predict that your kid's going to get leukemia that shit just happens. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, it's nothing hereditary. There's nothing genetically that we can say this was the situation, right? Like it just happens. And so like, I always worry about it at doctor's appointments when Donald has to go see a doctor because like his, 
his risk isn't necessarily what he went through coming back. It's new things happening based off of the side effects of the medicines that he had to take. Right. So that's always my fear when we go, and it's less more now than it used to be. I remember when we, when, you know, immediately after his his five years of of what they considered treatment, um, immediately after, like it was it, it it was a little stronger and it's gotten weaker and weaker and weaker as we go on, to the point now where it's not it's in the back of my mind, but it's not necessarily something I think about. But with the kids, with Zion Kai, um, I can't really focus on the what ifs. In situations like that, obviously I treat fevers differently. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I also know it, their situations different. And um, you know, my niece, my niece was like um, having some anemia, and it triggered a lot of stuff in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, when Malachi was little, he had like this wild ass hair, and Isela, my mom, decided to cut it off, and they told me, "Oh, it's just hair; it'll grow back." And, and that triggered though like I was so fucking hurt, bro. Like yeah, it triggered no. a lot in my mind because we used to say that about Donovan. Yeah. And then when it came time to me to shave Donovan's head, he didn't want to shave his head. He was mm-hmm. reluctant about it. And I remember the day he started losing his hair. It's during that first three month process. The first two months didn't do shit, bro. We're like, wow, maybe he's not gonna lose his hair. Like usually they lose their hair right away. Like he's he's doing good. And we were eating breakfast at this place and uh Look down on Donovan's plate. I'm like, these motherfuckers got hair in his food. What the fuck? And you know, I go and I rub his head like it's okay. And like when I did like this here, I just watched hair fly off his head, and it fucking triggered me, dude. Like it hurt so bad, bro. Because it's not even my hair, but I seen it in his face, dude. Yeah. I seen it in his face, and when I seen that, that was the first time I seen Dono. It effect, cancer affect him. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh man, like this bothers him. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to love his little fuzzy head, but he used to he used to feel a certain way when people rub his head. Yeah, he'd let me and his mom rub his head, or or kiss his head, but he'd feel a different way about it when other people did. And that was the only time that I seen cancer really affect Dono. And then growing up, there's been situations where you can tell just. Like, like, dude, he was on like steroids and shit. Like, he would have to do like so. It, when when we got to our normalized kind of, this is what we're doing for the last two years of treatment. It was like every twelve weeks he'd go get a spinal tap. Every six weeks he would get access through his port, the stuff called vincristine, and then every six weeks he'd have to do a fucking like a a seven day cycle of steroids, and like the changes in his in his physically. You know, from the steroids blowing him up a little bit, his his appetite during his steroid regimen, his aggression during his steroid regimen, like you, there was there were there were tangible things where you seen cancer affecting my son, and it wasn't even the cancer; it was the treatment of the cancer. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I, I, again, though, like like I, I keep going off on tangents, but like I remember when he was like he wasn't taking his pills, and because like he, he just it got to a point where he was taking 30 pills on Wednesday because they couldn't break them down to give bigger milligrams. Like he had to take 30 milligrams of methotrexate and you know, he fucking just did not want, he was tired of taking his pills, bro. Mm -hmm. And so it was a struggle. And so we were like, yo, wonder if we break him up, put him in orange juice, give him shots. Let's try it. Boom. That shit worked. 
shit worked and we'd take him and we'd take him for his checkup and they'd be like is he taking his medicine I'm like yeah man we, we figured it out like you know he was having a hard time doing this we started putting in orange juice and started taking it and it, this is this goes to speak about the cool shit about children's is you know the studies they're part they're part of while they like to keep their kids in a therapeutic range is what they call it so they like to have their ANC between like 500 and 1500 ANC is basically like your, 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 your immune system. Mm -hmm. They like to see it between a certain range because that way they can see the medicine working. Wow. Come to find out the orange juice was helping metabolize the medicine faster. And so although he's getting the medicine, they're not seeing him stay in a therapeutic range. Mm. And so it's not looking like the medicine's even, he's even taking it. And so, you know, we tell them this one week and the next week we go back and they're like, ah, wow, this is what we found out. Dr. Graham was talking to some of his colleagues and they found out in this other study that orange juice and citric juice metabolizes the medicine faster. So you can't take it with orange juice. So now we're back to fuck. How do we get him to take these 30 fucking pills? Yeah. And so it was just the workarounds like that. You know, it was one time Donald, Donald's mom was like, Did you take your pills. He's like, yeah, let me smell your breath. Make sure you took him. Like, she's just playing with him. And he was like, you know. And then she just went, was curious, and went and looked in the trash can, and he spit him out. Yeah, man. And that's tough because, you know, perspective. And and the, nowadays kids don't want to take Tylenol. Yeah, dude. No, you know I what just, I mean? Let alone taking 30 pills a day. And, and, again, that just speaks to, like, the strength that, he had that he doesn't even realize yeah. that he had. Even today, right? Even today yep. to to think back and look like I went through that, like he still can't fully understand the strength that it took for him to get through that. Well, and how do you, you tell your kid, like, I understand you don't want to take this and I don't want you to have to take this. Yeah. But you're going to take this. You're going to have to take this. Yeah. yeah it's not. A, it's just not your Flintstone vitamin. Like You need <laughs> this, you know? Dude, we and tried so much shit. You talk, you talk about triggers. It's crazy. Like, you never know what somebody else's past experience like little things trigger them and that's why it's so important to like be pay respectful a, pay attention to people's yep. body language and be respectful of other people's like emotions and yeah. boundaries because you never know that the smallest thing can just trigger the most upsetting memory right and you talk about you know them them shaving them shaving who did you say it was the malachi's head yeah yeah shaving malachi's head triggering yeah. you know old thoughts about donald you know yeah. and and who would have known like every boy at some age you know once his hair depending on how it grows gets cut you know because yeah. we wanted to evenly come out or yeah. we wanted to do this or we wanted to do that so every young boy gets those kind of buzz cuts here and there and to know like that could have a different effect on others so and there's not much that gets me bro there's not yeah. much that gets me like I got a dark sense of humor, like fucking cancer jokes and shit like that, dude. They don't bother me, dude. That shit don't bother me. But I'll be chilling and fucking ESPN will play one of them fucking them things they're great for around this time of year where, you know, they show Watch the kid the overcoming things and that fucking gets me. Well, or it could be anything or it could be like a food or a smell or even orange juice. Right? Yeah, bro. Like, yeah, I, I think I kind of remember like yeah. us doing a shot at Frank's house for some reason. And Frank and them were notorious for when they did shots, they would put like a little mixer in there as a chaser. And okay. so their shot would be like pineapple juice and yeah. vodka yeah. in one. And I'm pretty sure like they had like an orange juice and vodka shot one time and it had it mixed in and you're like, 
Oh, that triggers oh. me for a whole nother and, reason. <laughs> and, and and I feel like you were like, oh, orange juice, it reminds me of when I remember you telling me this story before. Yeah. Was, and I think it was something related to that, but that was a trigger. Yeah. You know, like other little triggers in life. It's, it's kind of, uh, you know, crazy to see how things can trigger people, but you also have to be very cautious of it and respectful of, of other things. Um, you know, and, and I want to talk a little bit more about like how, you mentioned like you treat fevers differently now. Yeah. And I'm sure there's diff both ends of the spectrum where you're probably overly cautious about certain things. And then there's probably things where you're like, you know what? He'll be fine. Um, how do you balance that? Like, how do you balance what is something that I should look into and, and what isn't because before you went through that, you never knew that like the little purple spots yeah. were indication and now no. you know these things so now as a parent who's been through it and known things do you look at every little mark as a potential of that mark or you know what i mean like is it is it is your sense heightened or lowered i try not to bro because i also have that fear of like wishful thinking you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. i don't want to think nothing in existence which is stupid sometimes for, no, but for, real. um i i don't I don't take any of that and apply it to the kids, to Malachi or Zion, because first of all, I have no control over that. Mm. Like I have no control. I have no say over whether or not they, you know, they were to catch cancer or leukemia or something like that at all in their lifetime. Like there's, and so I can't lose my mind over things I have no control over. Um, fevers, obviously I treat fevers with some seriousness. Um, but I also understand that sometimes a fever is just a fever. Sometimes mm -hmm. a virus is just a virus and you, we kids get sick. Um, I do have an appreciation for, um, trying to be a little more proactive about things. And so, you know, I think if the kids were to get really pale or they were to have issues with healing up, I definitely think it would trigger some senses inside of me to be like, Hey, maybe this is something bigger than that. Um, I told you the story about my niece with her being a little anemic and that triggered some things inside of mine, that my, my mind that started asking questions, but then obviously it, it turned out to be just something a little bit different than what she's eating, right? Some dietary things. So, um, I think there's always going to be that. Um, but I can't lose my mind over trying to control things I have no control over. All I can do is be prepared for if things happen, hope for the best and always be prepared for the worst situation. And that's not to say that I'm prepared for my kids to have to go through cancer treatment or anything like that, because I pray that nobody's kids have to go through that. No parents mm -hmm. have to go through that. And, you know, obviously there's thousands of kids that go through treatment and I'm just, I'm just another statistic of as far as a parent that has a kid that's gone through cancer treatment. Um, I respect that responsibility and I wear it and, um, I'm here for anybody who gets that, un that unfortunate news. Like I'm here for them. Like I'm here to talk. I'm here to be a resource, even if I don't know them, because that's my responsibility, uh, having been chosen to go through these, these trials. Right. Um, but I don't let it affect the way I live my life every day, bro. Like yeah. every day, my kids, I love my kids the same every day. I appreciate them every day. I appreciate my family and the people around me every day because we're here today, gone tomorrow. And I think our job is to have as much impact on this work, on this planet as we can while we're here. We're, we're a guest on a planet, bro, for, for a finite number of years. How, how do you uh, balance like parental differences though? Right? Like, I don't know if Isala or anything has been through anything similar to that severity 
you know, before with anybody in her family or anything like that to where she kind of relates to the struggle um, or not. But like, I know there are often times where even in my own relationship where I see certain things as a big deal as a parent and Vita doesn't or vice versa. And sometimes we have to find that middle ground of what we want to parent, not the way we were brought up, but the way we want to bring our kids up. And is there ever a time where, you know, you are going through something stressful and, and you maybe have the experience to deal with it a little bit more than Sally does. And, and you guys kind of, how do you balance that difference? Like, do you, are you more of a understanding approach, more of a teaching approach, or do you kind of just like, you got to grow through it as much as I had to grow through it. So we're going to grow through it together in this new instance or is it like i think it's all of the above to be honest with you because she has experiences in life that i don't have Mm. and vice versa and i think that's what we bring into our relationships right like we bring in our experience you can't you can't speak on your spouse's experience but Mm. you can speak on your experience and i think it's the communication of that experience with each other you know i went through this and this is this and you went through this this and this like if you have an open understanding of what you guys have gone through you're able to kind of effectively communicate and collaborate on a plan to get through it and i think um i mean the same thing with me and and tosh at the time you know, she had an understanding of what she's been through. I have an understanding of what I've been through. We both had never been through anything like that, but now we're going to have to figure out how to get through it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now we have these lessons to teach and, you know, um, with Isela, like, you know, she, we, we communicate, we're a team. You got to be a team. Right. And I think, um, we just figure it out as we go. And I don't think, because I, because like if I was to use that experience to 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 kind of influence everything I go forward with, like I would freak out at 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 the slightest possibility of a, of a fever or you know some lethargic you know lethargic looking kids or you know you know what I mean like it's mm-hmm. easy to go to go left with that very far so I don't think that's an option I think we we rely on our experience to teach us our next approach. But I don't think our experiences dictate how um, we have to go through something like I think it's an influence to kind of help us get through some things. But this approach that I went with Dono may have to be a different approach than I would go with Malachi or with Zion or with myself. Right. Like or with Isela. Like Mm -hmm. I, I think we can take our lessons that we get from our experiences. But it's also the now it has a lot to speak to with with how we handle things, too. And it's, you know our experiences plus current environments plus other influences equals, you know, result outcome or method of attack. So um, I think it's important that we communicate with each other and we lay it all on the line. I think especially with our partners, right? Like I think I know a lot about you. You know a lot about me, mm-hmm. right? I think when you make relationships with people, friendships with people, you put everything out on the table, you know, maybe you don't put everything, but there's a lot of stuff that gets out and you get to know each other and you get to understand more about each other and you get to know what makes people, you know, move and what, what makes people not move. And I think it's important to be able to communicate that with, with, with coworkers, friends, family, whoever it is, bro, because you ultimately got to figure out the best way to make things work. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that this segment is is meant to do and one thing that this episode is actually shown that it does do is you said it before and i'm going to end with this is every experience isn't the past experience 
your experience isn't my experience. My experience isn't your experience. That's right. But as long as we continue to learn from each experience, whether it's mine, yours, or theirs, and we grow through it and not just go through it, we'll be on the right path to being able to deal with it in the future. Be understandable of everybody's indifferences. Be understandable of everybody's triggers and how they respond to things, their body language, and be respectful of everybody's history because everybody goes through things in life and only a few amount of us grow through things in life. So, you know, I appreciate you for sharing that with us, brother. I appreciate you viewers for taking the time to hear us out. And if any of you ever, ever want to reach out to DNA Sports and have a story to tell or want to express these kind of things that we can share with others to help others grow through the similar situations please hit us up at dnasportsdenver.com yo again appreciate you don for i like this segment bro because i like what it brings to the table you know there's nothing wrong with men being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and being able to uh to communicate with each other and let us know that there's other people there and plus you might be going through some things out there that you think you're going through by yourself And there's always somebody else. So, again, don't hesitate, man. Anybody going through those unfortunate diagnoses or whatever, you know, let's let's get through it together. Man, that was a beautiful, beautiful segment. That's the way to end the podcast. That's right. For all you viewers out there, we love you. Thank you for your support. Make sure you check out our socials. Make sure you check out dnasportsdenver.com. Book a session. Leave a mailbag question. Whatever you have to do, but show us love. Like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend. And before we leave, we have to give some shout outs. That's right. Shout out to Inkless Laser, Icon Sales and Boxing, Anytime Flood Restoration, my boy Zach G in the Play Harder Podcast, Rebel Promotions, Black Sevens, Janice's Catering, Lash All Beauty, Cutthroat Barbers and Anglers, The Canyon Fly Shop, our folks, the Colorado Wolfpack Football Association, and as always, DNASportsDenver.com. My brother here, man. I appreciate you, dude. Appreciate great, you, great brother. Great segment, man. Yep, yep. Dono, shout out to you, Dono. Remember, your strength, bro, is unmatched by a lot of people. And continue to carry that strength with you throughout life because you're destined to do great things, my friend. Love you, Dono. We out of here. Peace.